I'll try to keep us down on time because I don't want uh, another Force Awakens. Yeah, or another inside. inside. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Filling in the Gaps. I'm Justin. And I'm Darren. And today we are going to be discussing a movie called Triangle from 2009. I would say I recommend this movie and you would as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. To give you a bit of spoiler-free recommendation, it's essentially about a woman going through a really bad day. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's difficult to talk about this movie without giving away any spoilers. I will say if you are a fan of anything like The Twilight Zone or Black Mirror, this is the type of story that I think will appeal to you. Yeah. You're also a fan of those, so would you say that's pretty fair? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of those movies that makes you think. Yeah, it is not an easy movie in many ways to watch, but it is worth it. Complex, somewhat original, very interesting, I think. So I would I would recommend it, and I definitely would recommend watching it before you listen to this, because I don't even think this podcast will make sense if you haven't seen it. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, don't even watch a trailer about it. Like I, I, I sent... A friend, the trailer, and then immediately afterwards, I, I told him not to watch it because I hadn't. I hadn't actually. I sent it to him first, and then I was watching the trailer. And as I was watching it, it was just full of spoilers. It was like it showed way too much because, like you said, it, it's going to be hard to give a spoiler-free kind of talk about it because it's about a woman that goes on a boat trip, yeah. and that's about as much as you can say without giving anything away. So yeah, don't even watch the trailer if you like. If you like, like you said, Twilight Zone movies or movies that make you think and uh, stuff, then go and watch it. You'll you'll have a blast. It's great. With that, we are now into our... <laughs> Was that the spoiler-free section? That, that's pretty it's much a, it. It's I a mean, woman on a much. boat. Yeah. <laughs> well, she has a bad day. And a bad day, yeah. yeah. But no, we are now in the spoiler section. So if you've not watched it, this is your last warning. triangle i gotta admit when you told me you'd seen this for the first time it was just a few months ago right you told me about it and i'd never even heard of it and you were, you were kind of angry i hadn't told you about it earlier <laughs> as though i've told you every movie i've ever seen yeah you need to give me your complete back, <laughs> back list this movie will be somewhat difficult to discuss because it is quite complex because it goes back and forth because you see multiple characters in different timelines, it is going to be a bit of a rough one. So we're desperately trying to keep it to a normal length episode and also make it coherent and understandable. Yeah. We're doing our best. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> without a flowchart that details the different Jesses and the different timelines, it's going to be rough. But we're not out here to... I mean, there's a lot of theories out there and people have done amazing jobs like uh, piecing together how yeah. the movie should be, I guess, in their minds. But I don't think we're out here to come up with a new theory, you know, but just to explain what we thought about it and without the pie charts and flow charts. That's what's interesting is you love to check out these theories and I want to just go on what I've seen. I think that's part of what makes the two of us working together work quite well. Let's talk about the basic way the movie works so essentially it is multiple timelines it is a scenario in which the movie loops and will start over again and in this movie unlike some others and some other tv shows i've seen there are certain things that seem to always happen but they don't necessarily have to happen every loop or every time and that is somewhat different and that changes things in this movie. What I've done is I've broken it down into some very key timeline elements. Now I'm sure some listeners will say I've missed some key elements and that's fine. There are definitely some things I've not put on here because I was trying to make it as minimal as possible. Let's discuss the characters first to make sure that we have an idea. There aren't many so it's very yeah. easy to go through. There is Jess who is our main character. There is Tommy who is her son. Who we barely see but He's quite key to the movie. Yeah. There's Greg, who owns the yacht. Victor, who kind of lives on the yacht. There's Sally and Downey, who are friends of Greg. And Heather, who is just a friend of Sally, who she's trying to set Greg up with. That's it. That's pretty much 
everyone we see. Which I couldn't even say that earlier because that would have been totally a spoiler. Right? Yeah. Even that is quite a spoiler. The key timeline elements that I've broken it down to, at the beginning of the movie, Jess gets on the yacht, and that kind of kicks everything off. The There's all sorts of character development and exposition going on through that. Uh, the yacht loses wind. There's a mysterious radio call. There's a storm in which the yacht gets flipped, and we lose Heather. Forever. Bye-bye, Heather. <laughs> then the the big ship, the Eolus, appears. They get on the ship. As they're wandering around, they think they see someone. Keys get dropped. Most of them head to the dining room. Victor gets injured. Greg gets shot. Downey gets killed. Then Sally gets killed. Jess ends up finding herself in some way. The triangle reappears when everyone is dead. And later, like at the very end, we see that there's a bird death and also Tommy, which is what keeps the loop progressing. So for me, those are the most basic elements. In some way, they will happen every time. Yeah. So it's at this point, I kind of want to leave it up to you because you said you had this flowchart system going. You wanted to discuss it. I want you to, to take the lead on that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting how you how you said that, it, like the, the, the looping timelines, because one of my main notes was... Uh, I put it in block caps somewhere. Is this is not a time travel movie, and I like that about this. It it doesn't have to happen the same way because it's multiple iterations of the same event, but they go in different directions, and the movie handles that quite well. But let's just start with what you said. Basically, I think this movie starts with I did say Jess two, or did or Jess <laughs> two plus. So but let's just try, just try and roll with it, right? Can, so, can we can we not just just her? Okay, you fine. Have your what I think is a somewhat confusing number system <laughs> for the others, but <clears throat> for ours, can we not just call her like the main Jess or our protagonist? Because I think she's the one we have to keep track of. But I don't think she's the same person throughout the movie. I think she changes. <laughs> I think that's going way too far. But all right, look, I think listeners. She, I think she changes once. Listeners, I don't believe this theory. I think this is totally Darren filling in the gaps. But this is one that I've not come across. I haven't had another friend come up with this. If you want to try this, that's fine. It's going to be hard. I also do want to preface this, and I'll probably say this again later, but I do really like this movie. I've seen this movie like six times. I find with this movie that it has made me think. I love this kind of movie. I love this kind of looping. And normally this would be a time travel movie. This one is not. But I like this kind of story a lot. But at the same time, it kind of frustrates me. It loops into my brain. And I am constantly thinking about it after I watch it. And under intense scrutiny, I feel like this kind of story, there's always a few things that don't quite hold up, which I want to get to at the end. But before I start saying anything negative, which in your flowchart system here, I might. I do like this movie. And I didn't recommend it lightly. I definitely recommend this movie. I think it's an amazing movie. I think it's one of the best of its kind. But I still don't think it's perfect. So I just want to make sure I put that out there. And also that we both had a lot of notes for this movie. We may leave some things out purposely because we're trying to keep the time down. So just to keep that in mind. All right. Okay. Begin. Okay, so, but the thing is, I don't know where to begin, because we're going to loop around, because <laughs> we could start right off the bat with mm-hmm. the Shining connection, because that's one of the first things that you won't notice the first time you watch it, but you might notice the second time or the third time. So, Jess's house number is 237. Yeah, and that's the same number as the... That's the same number as the movie. Yes. They changed it from 217 was the book. But they had a hotel room, 217, and they didn't want to freak the guests out. But actually, 217 became their most frequently reserved room. Yeah, that's what I was saying when you told me that over a text message last night. I said they didn't know what they were doing because clearly they would have had a lot more people want that room, but apparently they already did. What I wanted to say was that 237 is the room on the ship, the EOS, where the bloody writing is on the mirror 
for me, that's a bigger connection. I'm not sure why you think it's important to bring up The Shining unless The Shining is also somehow a loop movie. No, well, no, no. I just, I think even when I wrote it down, I was like, out of all of the things, out of the infinite numbers in the universe that they could have chosen, they chose 237. Why? That's odd to me. And I'm going to have to put it down to it's just them tipping a hat Hmm. to either Stephen King or Stanley Kubrick. Probably Kubrick. Also, even the patterns on the wall in the ship, they're so out of the shining. They're honestly watch it again and just like look at the look at the wallpaper. It's lifted from The Shining. Even the room two three seven, the shower noise is on. That whole section. I don't know why they did that. Why they chose to do that. I haven't dug in enough to see how it's connected to The Shining. I don't think it is. I don't. I think I'd be wasting my time down that rabbit hole. Yeah, that was just that. That struck me as odd because it was the last time that I watched it. I took more notice of the numbers, and I even rewound the movie, went back to see her address, and it's like, oh yeah, it's the same house, it's the same, same number, same room. So let's go back to the start. So, Jess in the dress. That's so nice. That sounds like a that sounds like a Doctor Seuss. Jess in the dress. <laughs> Here's what happens, or what I think happens. Jess in the dress murders Tommy. She then puts Tommy in the back of her car. And drives away. And then either intentionally or unintentionally maybe hits a seagull or something and then crashes into a truck and then she dies. She's committed a crime. She might maybe even did it intentionally. Maybe it was was a murder-suicide and so that's double punishment. The taxi driver is death. He picks her up and takes her to her destination. So the whole movie isn't real. It's all in her mind pretty much. We don't even actually know what happened in the real world because even from the very opening of the movie, it's all set in the post-life Jess world. At least I think so. And so the movie opens with that. But again, ding dong, our Jess has arrived. So we're kind of thrown in in the nth loop, I'll just say. Mm-hmm. we don't. I, I'm guessing it's going to be it's at least more than 30 times um, because there's 30 dead Sallies that I counted. So this is whatever iteration of that loop going on. Even when we be, when we begin, it's not the first. The, the most important thing is not the first Jess. It's, it, I, I think it's Jess 3 or more. Yeah, so they get on the boat and then they, they go away. Like all, all the boat stuff is just like you said. It's just, just character building. It's just letting you know. And it's a good use of doing nothing. Like we've always complained about how everything needs to be pushed forward and like shown stuff. And like, no, no, they're just they're tr- going through the water and you get a lot of story that way. I mean, most of the story is actually on that little bit of boat ride before they capsize. There are two things that happen. One is Jess wakes up. And when she wakes up, she has the vision of herself on the beach and the crabs coming around the sand. And this is part that definitely confuses me, and I'm not exactly sure what they're saying here, because it seems like her memory gets erased at this point but not fully, and so I'm not really sure. That's one mechanic that always kind of confuses me, and I'm never quite sure exactly what's going on there, because there are other times where she sleeps. It's not like every time she sleeps, she starts over, and the way that they play with she remembers, but she doesn't remember, I'm not sure exactly how to take that, and that's one of my issues with this movie. But also, the boat is where everything starts to get kicked off. The radio call happens, and the storm comes up, and if they weren't in the storm, then they would just sail home, right? So this is what forces them to have to get onto the big ship, the Eolus, every time, because otherwise there'd be no reason to. And there's no logical reason that Jess could ever give to stop them from doing so. Even if you say she does remember, there's nothing she could do to stop those people from wanting to get onto there instead of hanging out on an upturned, you know, like a flipped over. Yeah, yeah, in the middle of nowhere, yeah. I thought it was an interesting choice of mattress, though, that she uh, wakes up on, because that's very clearly memory foam, (laughs) which uh, it must be a conscious decision to, like, because they could have put, again... They could have chosen any room, but they chose 237. They could have chosen to not show the mattress at all, but they 
they show it so clearly. It's like, I've got one of those mattresses. That's a memory foam mattress. And yeah, it's memory. You know, her memory is either erased or I haven't really read anything about Sisyphus, but... I found it very weird that they get on the ship. Victor sees the old picture of the ship. He mispronounces the name of Aeolus. Aeolus. Yeah, which is fine. That's a very understandable mistake given the way it's spelled. Downey immediately corrects him, but clearly has no idea who it is because he has to read the information plaque next to it to understand. It would have made so much more sense if Sally had corrected because she studied it a bit. Yeah. (laughs) So I found that very odd. But that's a very minor nitpicky thing on my part, I think. It's the type of thing you notice when you've seen it six times. From just cursory research, right? So let's say Wikipedia. Elis has three different kind of interpretations. And the one that they mention in the movie is being kind of God of the Winds. And that's the one, I think, from the Odyssey, where he gives a bag of wind and... The crew at some point makes a stupid mistake opening it early and it blows them back to the island again. So I think that that's part of it there. Like she's constantly getting blown back to this loop that she's having to do. From what I understand though, Sisyphus is the son of Aeolus, but not the Aeolus that was from the Odyssey. Even apparently according to the Wikipedia entries, even according to different historians and people who study this, these three different characters from mythology who are named Aeolus often get a bit confused. So it's not totally unheard of that they could be a bit confused here again. But the thing with Sisyphus is exactly what Sally says in the movie. Sisyphus made a kind of deal with death, but doesn't live up to it. And so is stuck in this loop of pushing the boulder up a hill, essentially, but never gets to the top. It always rolls back down and he has to start over again. This is a huge clue as to what's going on with this movie before we've even seen what's going on with the movie, before we could really have an idea outside of the fact that Jess is saying she recognizes the corridor. That's pretty much all there is to it. But I think there's a lot to it. It's almost... A bit heavy-handed because all you need to do is, like I said, some cursory research to see what's going on. And even Sally's telling us that that's what happened to Sisyphus. So I'm a bit confused why they chose to call it the Aeolus as opposed to the Sisyphus, if that's the important thing. Maybe they thought that would be too obvious. But then why mention it? Yeah, yeah. That's basically it. It's a nice bit to throw in there. It doesn't seem out of place at the time. And the first viewing... I didn't really notice. It seemed unimportant at the time. The reason I asked you that was because I didn't know anything about Sisyphus. And it was just, I was just wondering, like, did he have, like, a memory thing? Like, did he not realize that he was pushing this boulder up the hill? Maybe he got to the top and then forgot what he was doing. And maybe he, he reset like she does kind of thing. But um... I don't think it goes that far. I think it's just the fact that he has to keep doing the same torture over and over again. Like she does. Yeah. And also... The idea of making a deal with death, which is possibly what they're saying is what Jess did. Again, though, one thing that I will say right now is I was so surprised, pleasantly surprised with this movie is because I did get a shining, another shining vibe when they looked at the old boat. You know, it's like, oh, it's the old ship. It's the ghost, it's the ghost ship. And the, for a lot of the movie, I was like, okay, when's the jump scare coming? And the jump scare never comes. And I'm so happy about that. It's a movie that's, got a horror kind of vibe but isn't out to scare the wits out of you and I really appreciated that about this movie oh yeah so if we can just rewind a little bit to the boat if you watch it again and I'm sure you've noticed this as well when they first hear the, the distress call that Sally gives Jess knows like you can see it in her face see I'm not convinced she knows I still think it's this kind of weird deja vu sense that she has because she has that same look when she looks at the Eolus. Yes, she does. And she's, the sort, only, she's the only one not saying, hey, we're yes, over here. Exactly. She's the only one not shouting out. I think that's very important to note. But she looks confused by it. She doesn't try to stop them. She doesn't try to do anything at that point to make me think she actually knows what's going on. 
And that's why, to me, when I watch it, I still get the feeling that when she wakes up from that nap on the triangle, that she doesn't really remember, that she's had it mostly wiped, but she has this kind of vague sense that's left over, which I'm not sure why they would do that, but that's probably not important. I mean, there's some things in this movie that you have to just let slide. So, so the distress call is one thing that, well, I think she knows. And the boat, when when you're right, when she looks at the boat, she knows, or she's confused by it. She she knows something is wrong at least. Also, her um, her actions when Greg says, "Oh, I came to the diner yesterday, uh, not because I was hungry, but to invite you on the boat." Her even her eyes there and her her actions there are like to me it's not confusion it's like wow that was a really long time ago you know it's maybe it could be it maybe feels like a hundred years to her because it, it might be a hundred years who knows but she's like wow yeah i do remember that that was a, such a long time ago that you came to the diner that's the feeling that i got it was really cool the acting in that is it, her face is brilliant in that in all the scenes where she's tricking us for the first time but then giving away more clues on the second and third watches i really appreciated that i still don't feel that way but that's fine like we're we're let's not belabor that because that's going to be the whole time you're going to think she remembers everything and i'm pretty convinced i I mean i don't think she remembers everything but i think she remembers some of it i think it's maybe because she's done it a thousand times she doesn't really remember the beginnings you know so they get on the key, they get on the boat. The the keys drop. I have another problem with the keys that I'll mention later. But one of the problems I have with the keys is the fact that she proves they're her keys by holding the picture of the locket next to the picture of Tommy on the keys. This seems really again another kind of more complicated way to do this than they really needed to be. And she's saying, "Oh, this is my house key. This is my car key." And it just seemed a very complicated way to just go, yeah, these are my keys. I don't know why they needed to belabor the point or why she didn't just compare them to her keys. So, yeah, so they get to the dining room and then we've got the whole, what time is it? Oh, it's 11.30, but it's 8.17 for the clock on the wall and it's 8.17 on Jess's watch. Which I think is a great bit to show you that she's more connected to the ship than anyone else. That's a very, very good clue and it's very good symbolism symbolism in this movie i know i've said before on a podcast that if you need symbolism to tell your story then it's more art it hasn't really been used for story this movie on the other hand i think has it in abundance but does it well enough that it aids the story but you don't need it to tell the story you don't have to see it to know what's going on and so in this movie i think it's beautifully done and the clock is a Excellent example of that. So what do you think then? Do you think 817 is the point of her death then in real life? That was my theory yeah. because... I the, it was either that or the moment that she killed Tommy. The post-it that she pulls off the refrigerator says that she's supposed to be at the triangle at about 8.30. 8:30. So it would make sense that she was driving, driving on her way there. So that would be my guess. Yeah. Which I, means she lives pretty close to the beach. <laughs> it's very possible. Mm. The other thing about that hall, which we find out later, but we can talk about now, is the food is rotten. Well, when they first get there, the food is beautiful and new. But later, there's a point where Jess runs through and it does become rotten. Which, I'm not really sure how time works here, or why that would be. I took that as, for them, it was fine, but for her, it was rotten. But it didn't didn't show you her reacting to the rotten food in the beginning. I don't even know if she looked at the food or not. It does make sense and it doesn't. It could just be a, a device to make us understand and realize that a lot of time has passed, maybe. Yet at the same time, the clock never changes. It's yeah. always 8.17 on the EOS. So again, that's where the food thing doesn't quite work for me. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But I do think it's a good visual clue that something weird is happening. And so for that, I'm okay. That's something I noticed the first time, but I didn't overly think. It's only now that we were watching for this one where I really started to think about the food and how it didn't quite work for me because time doesn't seem to make any sense. Yeah, because for them, and it does show you later uh, the different groups that board eating the same 
fruit and stuff. So it's like the fruit doesn't seem to age for them, but it does for Jess. It was thrown in to, I think, to make us see that there's a large section of passing time. Uh, but it wasn't well thought out. I don't think they like thought, like, oh, this is a problem, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly not. So, like, when Jess sees a reflection in the mirror in the dining hall, she's like, oh, I saw someone. But then she tries to grab Victor and, like, she tells him to wait. That's her exact word. She's like, I saw someone. Wait. Again, is she fully synced up yet? I don't think so. I think she's still in her deja vu state at this point, but she knows something is wrong and dangerous. I like that. I got the feeling that she wasn't completely synced up yet. That comes later with the the record player, but... I do want to throw in, since you've already mentioned mirrors, mirrors is a huge symbolism, and they throw it in a lot in this one. There's the mirror in the room 237. Red rum? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to make this... Okay, fine. But I'm not worried about the Shining connection. I'm more worried the fact that this is a mirror, but this is also a time when she wouldn't see herself clearly. There is the... Broken mirror? Broken mirror. There is the mirror on the... Well, where you just mentioned outside the dining hall where she sees herself but doesn't know it's herself. There is the mirror outside of the dining hall where she sees herself, but there are kind of lines throughout it. So... You could see that she doesn't clearly see herself. About the only truly clear mirror, there's only two, I think. There's the one at the beginning, I think, where she's preparing. And the one, oddly, in the kitchen where she's hiding. <laughs> it's really just in front of the shiniest stove of all time. I think that was done intentionally. I think that they're trying to give us many times the impression that there's more than one of her symbolically. And typically it's at a time where she's running from herself or might be noticing herself or trying to connect to her story. So I think it's done very well. Yeah, there are mirrors. I hadn't thought about that, actually. I mean, yeah, there are mirrors and you can catch glimpses of yourself. But especially, I mean, there's ones that, yeah, that really stand out. Like the broken mirror is like, yeah, who am I really? But I like the use of the mirror at the end. Like we're skipping to the end of the movie there. But that, that mirror for me was quite... Powerful, you know, in a sense, because you watching the murder from another point of view, almost. It's uh, you're watching a reflection of the murder happen, and it happened in front of you as well at the same time. Anyway, I didn't really think that much about the mirrors, but you've made me think about it now. So, what happens next? Yeah, I wrote down: Are these characters intentionally dumb? <laughs> and that's something we discussed beforehand. And I think this is actually quite important because. When I was watching it for the first time, and I still remember watching it for the first time, thinking, this is stupid. How could you possibly think that Heather has made it to the boat and is crawling around, bleeding out, and she hasn't called for help? And even the boyfriend, Danny even corrects her on that. And then the other thing that they say that's really dumb is, oh, the sailors are just all hiding from us because they've spent months at sea. It's a, it's a game to them. There are so many dumb things that they do. But when you watch it again, I think it makes sense because it's like have you ever had a dream where you're trying to read something like you can't read the words because your brain just tells you oh there's a page there but it doesn't actually tell you the words that are on the page I think that's what they're trying to do in this I think that's Jess she's got the overall space worked out in her brain but not the details and so these stupid little things that the characters are doing I think is part of her brain just not fleshing out the details that's just my theory, though. If you did have a problem with the characters being dumb like I did, try and forgive them, because I think maybe that's just me trying to rationalise it. I but... think you're filling in the gaps there, but <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. I don't think it's as important. Honestly, the only character that's important is Jess in the long run. Oh, that's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. So then we get to Victor tries to kill Jess. Now we get an idea of, like, oh, what's going on? This is weirder now, because Victor is seeing ghosts of... Jess, but we haven't discovered there's more Jesses yet. Yeah, because the first run through, he also looks like he's probably had some brain damage from whatever injury he had. So you could pretty much forgive him for whatever he might be doing, given that. What happens next? Does she meet? Is that when she finally meets herself? Then she goes to the theater. Eventually, she'll get to the theater. Is yeah. that that happens quite soon after? Yeah, because she. Well, like she and Greg have the argument. Uh, there's a point where Downey and Sally say we have to get to the theater, that's what they told us to do. And the first time I watched it, 
to prepare for the episode, this episode, I went, well, there's a continuity error, but there's not because we find out later that an alternate Jess would have told them that. Yeah. And we see her do it. So there are some other things, but yeah, essentially we can skip ahead to the theater. So we get to the theater, Greg's been shot, Sally and Downey think that Jess has done it, Jess is totally confused as to why that'd be happening, and then a masked person starts shooting at them. Which really reminded me of White Bear from Black Mirror. Okay, but don't... No spoilers. It's not a spoiler, just the masked guy and the hunting rifle, you know, it's... uh, I'm not going to spoil White Bear for anyone. That would be horrible. <laughs> That's, I think, your favorite episode. Yeah, it is, yeah. But yeah, totally the, the whole... The look of the it. The balaclava, the look. But yeah, so the masked killer comes in and then Jess confronts the masked killer. She doesn't actually find out that that's her yet. She will later on. But that's the, that's the thing I wrote down. Why? Why does... Well, two questions. How does she know, which leads me to believe there's, there's either... This is the hundredth time that she's done it. And she's maybe maybe she's just gone through all the possible combinations to this puzzle. What if I just kill this guy in this way? What if I do this? What if I do this? And then, but now she's discovered, oh, if I kill everybody, something happens. Like it resets itself or something like that. But I just don't understand. And then I wrote down, is it just because killing them all is as pointless as pushing the rock up the hill? Like, because it doesn't seem like to make any sense. In the part where she's running away from herself as well, they make a a point of showing you a long shot of the side of the boat where all the lifeboats are should gone. be are gone, yeah. which again makes me realize like, oh, she's tried to escape. She's just she's just taken a lifeboat before and and got off the boat. I like that theory. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. I just assumed that because she's being tortured that they're just gone. But ah, right. No. E- either way, I, I do like the idea that she would have tried that one. Yeah. And that kind of makes me wonder. Why that didn't work. There must have been something that made that not work. But yeah. Uh, I'm guessing she probably just spent her time at sea and died maybe and then washed up on the beach again. But yeah, so who did Jess knows the rules somehow? And we're never really told why. So that's my one problem with the movie is that I like rules. But I like them when they're explained. And this one doesn't have an explanation. It seems warrantless. It's just kill everyone. That's the rule. Why? I don't get it. And especially if they're in two minds, like if they're actually living this terrible nightmare, mm-hmm. poor them. Because they didn't do anything wrong. She's the murderer. She's the she's the one that probably killed her son and possibly committed suicide. Why are they punishing these poor guys who are by and large really nice people? Apart from Danny and uh, Sally. <laughs> Is the first time she meets Huda Jess, that's when she finds a record. <laughs> okay. You're skipping ahead just a bit. So, when she confronts Hooded Jess, don't forget, there are essentially two things that she does, where she throws the valve... Oh, yeah, the handle. The valve valve handle. handle. She throws that down. I don't know why she did that and then why they did it twice. I think she was trying to distract, right? But clearly it doesn't work. Hooded Jess comes up with the gun, and Jess is able to make her miss. She has the axe but uh, it does her no good just like it's knocked over the rail because who did just runs out of bullets which I, lo- I love how she just <laughs> looking at the gun is like ah, she just and throws the rifle at her. knocks her over they have the fight who did just loses the fight essentially gets up on the railing and says in the first time a very kind of muffled way that if you want to save our son You have to kill them all. So I think this is part of where the rules come in. She's been told. Now, I have a real problem with the fact that they've messed with the audio so that we couldn't tell that it was Jess saying it. But later, Jess has a very clear memory of what was said and how it was said. That bothers me a bit because, to me, when I was watching it the first time, and even in repeat viewings, going, yeah, she couldn't really hear it that way, but she could, but... We're not allowed to hear it that way. I think that's a different Jess anyway. I think there's two hooded Jesses in that movie. So the second one is more clear. It's not. I don't even think it's the same as the first one. All right. Well, that's a great way to fill in the gaps to explain that one. I'm not sure that I hold that theory. But I think that that's part of why. I'll get to the other reason in a minute. But I think that's part of why she thinks this is the rule. Because she's been told, told it. it. Yeah. So I think that is important. 
So one thing that I liked when you mentioned that she loses a fight with herself, I thought that was really well done as well the first time I was watching it because you just take it that this hooded person is a killing machine, something from Friday the 13th, which is today. <laughs> That's going to tell them when we recorded this one. <laughs> yeah. But what year? But yeah, so it's like this Friday the 13th killing machine maniac, but actually she's only as good as herself as a fighter and so that's how she's able to overpower herself and that i like that like when you find out oh it's actually her so there are a couple things to say about the record skipping here one is i think the symbolism of it the repeating the same thing over and over again the music that is being played is anchors away which is the same song that the marching band that we'll see at the end is playing when the car crash happens Oh, and this just dawned on me. The the marching band has the same symbol as the drum kit in the hall. Yeah, that's what I was trying to tell you ah, before the episode. Right. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it has the... It's like an A and an O, which I think represents Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Ah, oh, you did text me that. Did you text me that last night? Yeah. Yeah, so, that's yeah. right, you did, yeah. So I think that there's a, a huge connection there to bring that about. But I think this is also a somewhat clever movie device to tell us that things are now going to change and to clue us in that she might be starting to realize things are going on. It's also at this point that behind her, when she starts to hear the skipping record, there is a door with a lock that is now open. Yeah. Right. And I think that that symbolism, again, you don't need it to understand the story, but wow, once you see it, it brings a lot about and it adds She's got a padlock on it, yeah, and the padlock is, is been, widely open. Is widely open, yeah. yeah. I like this part of the movie because one big change that I noticed was you get some really jarring edits, and not just the glitches that happen where it's as the record loops, then it shifts to Jess. That's done for a reason in it on its own, and I think it's quite obvious to well, it's obvious to me that it's showing that's not the same Jess. Those are all different Jesses to me. When she's walking down the hall, it shows you walking down the hall, it shows you walking down the hall. That's not the same Jess. That's You've just seen three different Jesses. And this is her memories catching up as well, in, in a sense. But also the actual edits of the movie, the sound cuts and edits into a, a new scene very kind of like jarringly. I don't know if you noticed that. Before, all the edits were well normal. But now they've made a conscious decision to make the edits really, really super noticeable to the audience. So before the movie, you're just in this land and you're, just, you're, you're a passenger watching this movie. Now I'm starting to feel more like Jess because I'm, well, I'm, I'm noticing these edits come out of nowhere. They'll cut entire scenes. There'll be sound effects like seagulls or whatever and just it's gone and then it's a new scene and then... See, I didn't see it that way. I saw it as them just speeding things up. Okay. Because we had already seen it. We don't need to see the entire scene again. I have no problem with your theory. I think it's a good theory that they did this as part of the process. But for me, it was more about speeding up the storytelling. This is where the action is really happening and not wasting our time with stuff we'd already seen. The movie is roughly just a bit over an hour and a half which is about perfect. If they had left long bits of stuff we'd already seen in there, I think I would have started to get bored. Here's where we, where, where, where I start to realise as well. It's like, it's not a time travel movie. The bloodstains are piling up. The bodies are piling up. It's not a time travel loop to the beginning. Everything's clean slate again. But you don't see that yet. Like that, no. that will come up. Yeah. But what for me at this point is where she tries to make things change. And they do. And this is a a point that I do like about this movie, but also gives me all kinds of frustration with this movie. She's kind of cleaning up the bodies. She's changing things. It does open up a can of worms when you start to change things, because then... But it does work, because, again, if you're on board with the theory that there's been thousands of Jesses, then it comes with the territory. The one thing that that she says is, if they board, kill them all. And this is, again, another change to the rules. It's not just kill them all anymore, it's... It's stop them from boarding. Well, that's what she wants to do. We get to the point where she's going, she's running away from herself. She finds the handwritten letters. And that's where it says, if they board, kill them all. Does she really need to check her own handwriting? 
I think so. That uh, just struck me as so odd. Again, like with I the, don't with like the locket. It's like, oh, that's my son, and there's my son on the keys. You would know your handwriting, but again, it's a device for the audience. But then, why have it anyway? It's a device for us, but I also <laughs> I found the fact that she had to write the whole message to be a bit much. I think it is a movie trope to do that, but I think it works. I think the note is one of the first times where we see a bunch of things that are piled up. And so it's the first time where there's a big clue that this has happened many, many times. And it's right after that that we see the locket and we look down at the lockets and there are like a hundred of them. So uh, it is maybe a bit long and the fact that she has to write that message. But I think that's, again, it's more for us to remind us of what's going on. Where I do have the problem with this is the fact that if she can change things, then there are a lot of things that she does that don't seem to make sense or she doesn't seem to anticipate which could actually make a difference and she doesn't go through with that and a problem i have with pretty much any kind of looping movie is the fact that the first time it wouldn't happen this way so for example she sees the locket hanging on the grate and she looks down and there are a whole bunch of them but she never would have had a reason to look down at the grate if there was never anything there the first time yeah. So why did that ever get started? Why was that ever into the process? So that that's one of the things that probably as we progress, this is one of my things that does kind of bother me. Why is this part of the routine? Because the first time, I don't think this ever would have happened. I mean, unless you just dropped it down there the first time. But that, again, even that's a gap that I am reluctant to fill. Like, like, you would just be making it up at this point. If you say you've got a reason for why that happened in the first place, you're just making stuff up. I do like what they do with the locket, though. They tie it in at the end, because she loses the locket, then she's locketless Jess, I guess, <laughs> if you call her that. And then at the end of the movie, she takes the locket from herself, Dress Jess, dressed Jess and she's back in the loop again, which is clever. So who have we got now, then? We've got... I've got it in quotations here. You have to stop them boarding. She does say that to herself when she meets herself the next time. The, the second time where the clear rules are, are voiced... Because that is, again, that's definitely not the first hooded Jess. I think that's, a, that's, that's another one. Yeah, so like, I've got them here as gunpointing Jess has to be at least three plus. <laughs> and then business end Jess has to be way beyond that. Because also, even now, we're starting to get doubles of the actual triangle people. Like we've got two victors now. I think that's the only time we see, well, well, obviously Sally. But this is the only time we see two walking, like, Victor sees himself. I don't think so. In the dining room. Oh, no, 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 sorry. Victor sees two Jesses. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, sorry. So it's Sally. She's the only one that sees multiple versions of herself. Yes, yeah. I believe so. Okay, so we're in the hall. She's managed to change stuff. She even realizes that she's, that she's changed stuff, which shows that she's got a memory after the record, the symbolic sync well, up of her memories. I'm not sure how much memory she has. She may only have the memory of what's happened, but put it together because she heard her own voice. And now she's seen her own handwriting and the, it's many times she's seen multiple lockets that are identical to hers. So she's had these pieces to put it together. And to not go, well, that one thing was weird. No, these are too many coincidences. Fair enough. And yeah. so she has to believe them. I think that may be part of the reason why they kind of overdo how many clues she has to make it beyond a doubt she would understand. And she stops Victor from hurting the other version of herself and so now she realizes things can change and as we progress though again hooded jess changes again we get i put her down as psycho jess psycho jess is just another one but this is maybe who knows 100 plus she's playing a video game now pretty much and she's having a little bit of fun with it the way i mean she murders Danny pretty brutally uh, you can see it in, again, the facial... Her facial emotions at this point show that she's doing a lot of this consciously. She lures them into room 237, makes it seem as though she's taking care of them, essentially giving the line of, like, if you want to survive, come with me, and then gets them into the room, takes out Downey, and mostly takes out Sally. And yeah, I do agree. This one has a facial expression that is more along the lines of I don't care or I have a mission and this is part of the mission. This is the point where Sally is kind of limping away. This is where she talks on the radio. Yeah. Connecting to 
Yeah, she's further in stress. Yeah. And this is also the point where the Jess we've been following, and I believe we've followed the same one the whole time. Otherwise, this movie gets way more confusing <laughs> than it needs to be. The Jess we've been following follows the Sally, and Sally finds basically the Sally graveyard. I got goosebumps at that moment. That was jaw-dropping for me. I loved that scene. It was out of the blue, did not expect it. It was incredible. I loved that. I loved it. And it still looks great. Like, visually, special effects-wise, it still looks great. And this movie is, what, nine years old at this point. It's pretty great. Sally dies at this point. It's very interesting that not all the Sallys made it to the end. (laughs) Some of them must have just given up much earlier. And seagulls are kind of hanging around. Seagulls are all over that movie, yeah. But it's at this point where... Sally dies. And when she dies, that's when Jess hears the Triangle crew coming into the Eolus. And she says something to the effect that when they die, it starts over. So this is where she really makes the connection of if she wants things to start over, she has to kill everyone in order to get it to start over. So to save everyone. So for example... Even that time, I'm a bit irritated by this because she realizes she can change things. She comes across the Jess-Victor kind of struggle where he's going to get injured. And it seems to me she would have time to stop that and just stop it there cold and break the cycle. But instead, she just kind of hovers there until he gets injured. And once he's injured, then it sets into motion she has to kill everyone if she wants to be the one to save everyone. Because in her head, the only way to save everyone is to start it over. Okay, so that's something that I didn't think about. That's probably where she's got this notion of saving Tommy from then. I think so. So she thinks that by killing everyone and getting off the boat, she can reset time. And she does. And she does get home. But obviously it it doesn't work because she's trying to cheat death. Okay, so that does make a bit more sense now, like you have to kill it. Because that was, did strike me as a dumb rule, but now I'm starting to understand. Yeah, okay, so she's starting to realise now that she's not actually killing them. She's, like you said, she's actually trying to help them. She's trying to save them. She mentions at some point as well, I'm going to make sure this time I get there before they even board. But of course she doesn't. She's not there. She's not fast enough or she doesn't plan ahead. The thing that's a bit more confusing about this than, say, something like Groundhog Day, where there are multiple versions going out at the same time instead of just the same action happening over and over again. So it makes it a bit more complicated. Other Jesses in other timelines could be messing with her plans. And in fact, do, which is why essentially she always fails. She's always essentially getting in her own way. Yeah, because the thing with the Valve is who did gun Jess is down there and she's trying to distract her but as she turns to double back then crowbar Jess knocks her out kind of thing so it's like but then I think the Sally part when she looks down her other self whichever number you want to call her is actually killing Hooded Jess this time with the axe is she killing her or is she just being pushed over or like falling over as I mean you see her hitting her with the axe like a dozen times and then she tosses her overboard I was thinking it was more the original Jess and Hooded Jess fight, I think she tried to bring the axe down, but she never could because she had the crowbar or she had something or the gun or something else to stop her from actually. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is that fight that she's looking at again is yet another Jess, <laughs> Hooded Jess, Jess combo. Just so that you, again, to keep forcing that point home that there's multiple, multiple, multiple Jesses and it's been going on for a long time. Post Jess, Psycho Jess is at least a seven on my scale. <laughs> and just to be clear as well, with the Sally thing. I counted 30 bodies in that. There's probably, there could be more. But again, that's like, it's not a looping time travel movie. So these are just 30 ways that she died this way. She'd probably been tossed overboard more times than she made it to this landing. And again, that number of Sally's means there's that many, at least that many Jesses as well. This is where she has this sudden click where she suddenly remembers Tommy again. And us too as well for, for, for a long time as well. We've forgotten the point almost of this. We're pushing the boulder up the hill in a, in a sense as well. But we her. never really knew what... Like when she says we have to do this to save our son, it doesn't really make sense at this point in the story because at this point, we don't know what happened. Yeah. Although I think, to be fair, to give credit to 
uh, probably a lot of people who watch this, I was not convinced that she was a good person from the very first time I watched this. In fact, after the first time I watched it, I'm pretty sure I texted you and said, did she murder her son? And you were like, oh, that's maybe something. It's an, it's an idea. Because even before we got to the end and we see angry dressed Jess, as soon as she put that bag in the car, I was like, that's Tommy's body. I, I just... <laughs> I, 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 I didn't have that I impression. I went top, top shelf for that. <laughs> but anyway, so, but she, she, she has this, this kind of epiphany moment where she's like, oh, Tommy. And it reminds us as well that, oh yeah, Tommy. He was mentioned before and he's been kind of throughout the thing. The movie starts with him. Yeah, what happened to Tommy? Now she's on her mission like to get the hell off this boat. But that's one thing that really bothers me is if she doesn't have her memory, she wouldn't remember what happened to Tommy. So when she says, we have to do this to save our son, that part doesn't work for me. Either she has her memory at this point or she doesn't. Mm. Multiple times we saw the Greg and Jess fight where... Greg says something to the effect, in your world, maybe this is what happens. And Jess says, my world is waiting outside of school for me. Yeah, that's in the corridor. Yeah, that, that part. And that happens many times. And that still gives her the impression that Tommy, for her, is still alive and now waiting. And she's just desperate to get back to him. But then later, she's saying, we have to do this to save our son. So for me, there's kind of a disconnect there. What happened in between those two times? And yeah. you could say it's the skipping record. But then, for me, she either gets her memory back or she doesn't. No, I'm, I'm definitely on the, she knows what's going on. She's got her memory. I think even when she says, my world's waiting for me outside school, I think what she means is her perfect world. I think, I'm pretty sure she knows what she's done. But that's a question that can never be answered mm-hmm. to 100%, for sure. I'd be pushing a rock up a hill to try and convince you. <laughs> yes. Sally's seen, now Jess has is kind of on her mission as i said before she remembers tommy again and that sparks her to get her butt in gear and take care of some business i guess so that's when we see her become hooded jess Mm -hmm. for the first time sorry even though i just watched this other day but so what happens then she goes there oh and she starts to stalk them in the halls and stuff that's when she's she sets it up right so she gets rid of downey's body throws it over she cleans up a bit. She gets herself prepared to become hooded Jess. So she gets the shotgun, the bullets, and the uh, the costume, essentially. But as you said off air, <laughs> everything except for the shoes, which is what tips Greg off. So when she's pointing the gun at him and he realizes that it's her, she says something along the lines of, this isn't me. I'm sorry, this isn't me. And it's the only way. And then she shoots him. Yeah. And we get that beautiful shot of him flipping over the <laughs> the railing and onto the theater floor and taking out the others and then repeating pretty much exactly the same fight she had with herself the first time we saw the two Jesses fight. The This Jess that she's fighting against does the same thing with the valve handle, throwing it down and has the axe and it plays out pretty much identically, I think. And then at the end... The Jess we've been following, who's now wearing the hood, is on the railing and says something to the effect of, this is the only way for us to save our son. You have to kill them all. Like, she gives the instructions. And then she falls backwards into the water. This is something that's always bothered me because I don't know why she would fall back in the water. If she's so concerned that she needs to save Tommy, and if she does remember Tommy at this point, Even if she wants to save the other group, she is in a better position to do it than a new Jess that she's giving this kind of vague information to. Why wouldn't she fight more? Why does she give up? Why does she fall in the water? She doesn't know that she will end up back at the beach. Or does she? So again, like with you, if this is the memory, but even if she did, does she know that she would end up back at the beginning again? And if so, why would it even matter if new Jess takes up the reins if she's going to fix it now by making it to the beginning so that whole sequence to me confuses me and i'm not exactly sure what they were trying to do there yeah i'm this point in the movie kind of breaks it for me like you know i love to come up with ideas and stuff but this point is just like it's too much it's even a stretch for me because okay so there are some ideas idea one is she is in a position now and she does have a memory and she knows what's going to happen if she falls in the water but this Jess, she knows, is going to win 
and can take care of business um, because it's not the first or second or third or fourth, whatever. So maybe by her going off the boat now, this Jess cleaning up the ship and killing everyone resets so that when she's back, she has a chance to save Tommy or something like that. Like she can't kill everyone because then the triangle just reappears again. She needs to be off the boat while that's happening, I think. Again, it's not well explained and it's not a very good theory. But that's my, that's the only way I can wrap my head around that. Because like what we were talking about before is if she does have a memory as well, then immediately, why doesn't she just jump off the boat? Again, it would be a very short movie. But it, it wouldn't save Tommy if that's the thing. Yeah, so I think she's almost passing the torch. Like, okay, you've beaten me. You're pretty hardcore. You know what needs to be done. I'm out of here. I'll see you later. And every, every Jess believes that she's the real Jess as well, I guess, mm-hmm. as well. So... That's, that's as much as I can say on it. My other problem with that fight, as I've kind of mentioned before, is the fact that she's been through this fight on the other side. So she should know clearly that the other Jess ran out of shells to shoot with. Why didn't she grab a whole lot more or an extra weapon to attack with or avoid the same exact hits that she threw before? I know she's probably not an expert fighter where she would have memorized this fight and know the moves, but... You would think she would come up with a better plan the next time around. A way to trap Jess instead of just fighting with her. And why fight with her? Why not reveal yourself and work together to that make sure? Be, that, w- that, that was kind of what I was wanting with that movie in a sense. Like You could get a hundred of yourself. Definitely you could pull this off. <laughs> yeah. But no, I think... I mean, what we've said before is it's not a time travel movie. It's not a Groundhog Day movie. So this fight has variations. Like like we've said, Jess sometimes murders hooded Jess. Sometimes she wins, sometimes she loses. So it's like, it's, I don't think it's the same choreographed fight over and over again. So there'll be variations. But yeah, take more bullets or grab another. Because you know, definitely know that's going to run out of bullets. Even if it was your first time, you'd be like, okay, when this runs out of shells, I'll need another one. I'll need something else. Okay, so then she tells her that Regardless of what the theory is, she falls overboard and then she gets washed up on the beach. Which Which I I do want to cover just a minute. There is something that I wanted to say on our episode of Inside, but our episode of Inside, I'm not sure exactly what the final length will be, but the recording length was very long. Yeah, it was. And so it was already getting into too long territory. But there is a common interpretation of water as symbolism in movies that... When characters fall in water or they are covered in water with, say, things like rain, that often it is a symbol of rebirth. And I think that that's a lot of what they're trying to go with here is that she is starting over and she's making it back to the beginning. And there is that hopeful opportunity that she can fix things. And so I think that that's part of the reason why they have her fall into the water. Maybe I'm reading too much into that, but that's... It makes sense. There are lots of other times where that happens in movies and... It is pretty common. She gets back. She runs to the road. She looks like she's going to hitchhike. We don't know if she ever got... I'm guessing she does. She, she puts her hand out to hitchhike. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then she's running to her house, sees Tommy, gets very upset, and sees her past self, and is even more upset. And that's where you were talking about her facial expressions and what she can do with that, what emotions she can display there. And I think that one's very good. She does that throughout uh, the sadness, the anger at herself, and the kind of determination to not let that happen again. And this is where she rings the bell, runs back, gets the hammer, takes care of it. We see that Tommy saw the whole thing happen, and that's pretty horrifying. And it makes a bit more sense why he's crying so much. Well, it also kind of makes sense why, actually, the whole thing is her fault, compounded even more so, because the whole reason Tommy is, well, not not the whole reason he's murdered, but part of the reason that sparks Jess's anger is because he spills the paint. Mm-hmm. He spills the paint because he sees the other Jess through the window. Yes. That's amazing. I really like that. But it doesn't make sense in the fact that, just to go back a little bit, if it's all 817 and that's the big thing, why would she go back to a point prior to that? I don't know why she wouldn't go back to the death. I guess for the movie's sake. I guess we just have to overlook that. But death was kind enough to give her time to hitchhike a ride back to the house i think you need that because i think otherwise she needs to see tommy again she needs to go through that if this is her punishment she needs to have that love again to see him and every time have him taken away from her right 
Otherwise, it's not much of a punishment, if that's what she's truly being, in your theory, punished for. But that's the thing as well, that she is essentially the same Jess. Let's not make any bones about that. She did do a bad thing, but when she sees Tommy again, she's genuinely, again, with the facial emotions and stuff, you can see real love there. You know, I, I, I felt that a lot. I feel kind of bad because it's like, I feel like she's paid for her sin, in a sense, but murdering your own child is probably, well, is unforgivable. But I'm on her side, you know, but you, you forget that, no, she's actually a terrible person. And you saw the terrible person that she also became on the ship when she's murdering all those people willy-nilly. Yeah, sure, okay, it's maybe her thousandth time, but that's part of who she is. And so I'm torn between the two sides of Jess. But that's the thing, she does love her son, so maybe she just snapped. I'm get, that's what I'm saying. She, this she, is again going your theory that yeah. she killed him originally. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a moment of just madness. She gets dressed Jess into the trunk of the car, stealing her locket. She gets Tommy into the car, which is not an easy ordeal because he's been through some real trauma. This is also where we see from the very beginning of the movie and now that she tries to tell him it's okay, that it was just a bad dream. And, you know, when she tries to get out of a bad dream... She tries to think of things that make her happy, like being with her son, which I think ties all back into this. And then we basically get kind of the turn of the movie where we see everything connect. They're in the car. The bird hits the car. Tommy gets upset. She goes out. She gets rid of the bird body, sees lots of other bird corpses lying there, realizes maybe she's not totally out of it yet, is nervous, I think, a lot of anxiety, tries driving off, and Tommy's screaming about the blood. And this is where she's trying to say, I'm not the same person, Yeah, and everything's going to be okay, which is exactly what she had said to Greg. This isn't me. And it seems to be a recurring theme with her now. And we get to the point where there's the accident and the crash. And this part has always bothered me a bit. It only really works if we're going with the theory that this is her punishment that she is somehow a ghost that she is already dead at this point because we see the crash we see the aftermath lots of people crying including the marching band that had just played anchors away and very clearly get to see the drum head at this point and we see dress jess on the ground which is clearly (laughs) she was stuffed in a bag in the trunk of the car there's no way that she ever could have gotten her out to fake the death like oh this is the one who was driving without people noticing and there's Tommy's body there as well and then there she is just standing looking on and the driver comes up and says there's no way to save the kid isn't it a shame do you want a lift yeah <laughs> and she says yes and then we kind of get back to our real beginning of the movie where she meets up with Greg and gets onto the triangle I think that you're right there's not. It's not like she's faking uh, anything. I think that that crash scene is actually the real world, and that's her reliving that moment. But was it suicide or not? Or I don't know. And I don't think we will be. I, I don't think we'll ever know. Yeah. When you mentioned wanting to do an episode of the podcast about this movie, you mentioned something along the lines of this is a puzzle that's meant to be solved, and I had already seen it a number of times and was thinking I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> but I didn't want to dissuade you in case you had come across something or you would see something that I didn't. I don't think that it's meant to be overly clear. I think that there are some things that are intentionally ambiguous in this movie. I think that with any sort of time-looping movie, I'm always going to have the problem of, but how did this happen the first time? Because there would have been nobody to shoot them or stab them in theory. Just would have had no reason to do it in the beginning so the first time around did they all just die of old age on the eos yeah maybe and yet jess was the last one and so then that started the process i'm not exactly sure how that would work or the amount of bodies that would be piling up i think the eos would kind of sag under the weight of the billion corpses of (laughs) sally that might eventually build up but other things like the keys where they were dropped which Jess only had because they were dropped before. How did they first get there? 
you have to... You kind of have to ignore... Ignore the first run. The first run. And that's always a problem with me because I can't help but think about the first run. Yeah. And how it doesn't quite connect. How did this start? So unless somehow it was started already in motion. Yeah. I mean, even with my notes, it's like... I started out thinking, oh, this is Jess number two or higher. But even as I was watching it again, it's like, no, it can't be two plus... It has to be three at least. And so those runs before that, yeah, what actually kicked all of this off? Did she just go nuts? There's definitely that unanswered question, like the first run. Did they just all die of old age? Probably. Did Jess eventually go nuts? Is this... Maybe she did nothing for a thousand times. Maybe they that maybe that's the one where she, they tried the lifeboat. But no, I think even watching it again and again and again, I've definitely pieced more of it together. It's a, it's a great movie that you can get something extra out of it each time you watch it. And I like that with all those t- kinds of films where you can get new information. And I certainly would say it's a good movie. Like I, I definitely still enjoy watching it. However, it's just people like me can be so nitpicky or caught up in the details that it hinders me a little bit. But I think most people watching this movie would just enjoy it for what it is and go, this is a very interesting one. For a time-looping movie, this is very, very well thought out. It's complex, and they put a lot of thought into the continuity. Yeah, and here's the thing, that even if you don't like to think about movies... Like, I don't go to the cinema to get a PhD and stuff. I just want to, to be entertained. Um, that's fine. This is, this is a movie, I think, that caters to both audiences. Because unlike the mystery box, this is a mystery. But it gets almost fully explained by it's, the end. It's fully explained enough to feel satisfied. To, to come away satisfied, yeah. And that's what I really like about this. It's not the other mystery box that's just, well, it could be anything. No, this is like, here's something for you and this is explained but if you want to think about it more feel free and you can probably come up with some really good ideas awesome but as far as we're concerned we've we've given you plenty to deal with and they they spell it out beautifully in the end when jess has become hooded jess and you get to see all the keys dropping the the hallway stalking the mirror reflection in the dining room everything is is laid out for you and that's an awesome movie i think i would watch it again even Gaps filled or more gaps created. I don't know why I wrote that. The seagulls equals Sally. <laughs> you put wow with a giant exclamation yeah. mark as though you're really onto something there. If they had left long bits of stuff we'd already seen in there. I think I would have started to get bored. Towards it should the end. have been 180. Then it would be a triangle. I <laughs> I knew where you were going. <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, that's totally making it on the end bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the 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 blooper reel. Yeah.